This is the IBJ podcast for the week of January 30th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm Leslie Widenbenner, editor of IBJ, in this week for Mason King. Celebrated jazz guitarist Wes Montgomery was born 100 years ago in Indianapolis and spent much of his career here, recording and performing on Indiana Avenue sometimes with his brothers, and often with some of the greatest jazz, soul, and even pop musicians of his time. Montgomery died in 1968 at just 45 years old. But during his relatively short career, he won two Grammy Awards and was routinely selected as the top guitarist in downbeat magazine polls, five times by critics in the 1960s and four times by readers. We're turning today's episode of the podcast over to IBJ arts writer Dave Lindquist for an exploration of the ways that Wes Montgomery was an innovator of jazz guitar, why fellow guitarists continue to find inspiration in his playing 55 years after his death, and how he was one of many world-class musicians to emerge from the Indiana Avenue jazz scene in the 1940s and 50s. Joining Dave for the conversation are Rob Dixon, a saxophone player and artistic director of the Indianapolis Jazz Foundation, and Lasana Kazimbe, a poet, teaching artist, and assistant professor of education at IUPUI. Here's the conversation. I'm Indianapolis Business Journal reporter Dave Lindquist, and I'm happy to welcome to the IBJ podcast two guests to talk about the 100th anniversary of the birth of Indianapolis jazz icon, Wes Montgomery. We're joined by Rob Dixon, saxophone player and artistic director of the Indianapolis Jazz Foundation, and Lasana Kazembe, poet, teaching artist, and assistant professor of education at IUPUI. Hello, Rob and Lasana. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for having us. March 6th will be the 100th anniversary of Wes Montgomery's birth. It's an anniversary that will be commemorated several ways in his hometown, including a May 13th special event at the Cabaret Venue where Rob and Lasana will be part of an evening titled In Our Own Sweet Way, honoring the artistic legacy of Wes Montgomery. Rob, who else is on the bill and what should attendees expect? Yes, uh, as far as the, the band, it is the Indianapolis Jazz Collective and that is myself with Steve Ali on piano, uh, Kenny Phelps on drums and Nick Tucker on bass. And we have a featured guitarist, um, Bobby Broom, who is kind of one of the premier uh, guitar, straight ahead guitarist out of Chicago, but nationally known. And uh, Manon Voice and Bashiri Assad also. Well, I was going to say, I was going to let, let Lasana speak to that, but yes, Lasana has put together a program that in, in, uh, incorporates Bashiri Assad and Manon Voice, and I'll let him speak to, to that, what he has planned um, as far as the, um, the vocal part of the evening. Well, thanks. It um, should be prefaced with uh, giving thanks back to you for conceptualizing the centennial uh, observance of Mr. Montgomery. So what I've done as the uh, artist in residence, inaugural artist in residence at the Cabaret, one of my functions in that two year stint is to curate. And so I thought it would be really appropriate to pull together um, other artists, at least two other artists, um, and Manan voice quickly came to mind, Bashiri Assad, the vocalist, came to mind, and I thought it would be wonderful for us to collaborate and, uh, in honor of, of this occasion. 
So she, she'll, uh, Manal Voice will be joining um, the production as a spoken word artist. I'm a spoken word artist, and Bashiri will, he may do some poetry, but he's largely known as a vocalist, and he'll add that vocalese, that, that special magic. The Everyday Soul Singer, I believe, is his. Uh, the Everyday Soul Singer, yeah. Um, what else can you tell us about the work you've done as uh, artist in residence over there? Right. Well, as artist in residence, I have been um, uh, in collaboration with Shannon Forcell, the executive director, CEO of the Cabaret. And one of the, the first production that actually Rob and I did was a, a concept called uh, The Voodoo of Hell's Half Acre. The Traveling Genius of Richard Wright from Natchez to Chicago, a blues poetry opera. And it was a multimedia production that featured music and spoken word poetry and visual artists doing live work, um, honoring the art, life, and legacy of Richard Wright. Uh, after that, I've done, along with Rob again, another production called The Blues in Black America. And that's um, we're usually a trio or a quartet, and we do that usually during the Cabaret's Alley series in the summertime. It's outdoors. And then another, the most recent production and collaboration that we've done is called Fire Dance. Body, word, and sound is Prism. And that one featured um, Ramon Flores, the um, uh, dancer and professor of dance and movement at Butler University, and two other dancers. And we had a full panoply of uh, musicians and it was actually a story that was done in four, uh, two movements for two pieces to each movement so it had four total sections to it and that one was an uh, an homage to healing and the power of art to heal and transform and so we thought you know post pandemic it would be really something special to offer to the community definitely now this Natchez to Chicago project that was also filmed and uh, picked up by public. It was. Thanks for. Yeah, that, that was actually filmed and produced by WFYI. And it was picked up by um, we had a 97 percent market share. So it was shown. It's still being shown on PBS stations throughout the country. Nice. Really great. Grateful for that. Rob, you mentioned Bobby Broom. Yes. A national artist. Um, I'm guessing. Guitarists don't hesitate when given the chance to uh, pay tribute to Wes. You know, and that's something that I'm really happy about because usually um, if you ask a musician, hey, particularly of national or international stature, um, to come to a project with you, there's a lot of back and forth. But when you, when you say, hey, do you want to come do this thing and celebrate Wes Montgomery? Every guitarist in the world is like, Yes, absolutely. How can I be a part? You know, and that's kind of been the reception that we've had as far as, you know, celebrating Wes Montgomery. I think Wes has been a hero and just um, a mentor and just someone that, that every guitar player has looked up to. Every successful probably guitar player is acknowledged as being one of their heroes, if not their main hero. So. Um, it's exciting to be, you know, to curate a program that is, is, is sanctioned by the West Montgomery Estate as being the official West, West at 100 program. Nice. And Rob, you're one of the organizers of the annual Indie Jazz Fest, one of my favorite days of writing about music in Indianapolis since I came here in 1998 was the Indie Jazz Fest day in 2016 that was fully dedicated to Wes at IUPUI's Campus Center. What are your memories of that day? You know, that 
day was not only you know just the who's who in the guitar world but jazz guitar world because we we brought so many guitar players um that that were honored to be a part of it it was a day of fellowship you know uh with um wes's wife and then robert montgomery wes's youngest son being a, a, a huge part of it um you know everybody was just uh you know, um, grateful musicians were grateful to be a part of it, to see, to see the reverence of uh, and the the, the the you know the odes that 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 they uh, dedicated to West Montgomery was just um, it was very heartwarming, as well as you know profound and really um, just demonstrated uh, the breadth of his influence across the world. You know, I did a I did uh, a State Department tour. Well, it wasn't a State Department tour. It was um, it was a bilateral presidential uh, cultural exchange tour with Russia back in 2012. Obama Medvedev um, cultural exchange tour with Mike Clark, and we went over to Russia and one of the places we visited, Krasnodar. Uh, the guy that ran, I guess the city was, he said, I want you to hear my CD. And he played me a West Montgomery CD. And I was thinking like, what? This is West Montgomery. But the guy said, hey, this is my sound. So he, he identified with West Montgomery. I was like, man, West Montgomery, uh, you know, in Russia, like people are just <laughs> like all about him. You know, his, his influence on the guitar it knows no boundaries. So that's what I thought to myself at the time. That's fantastic. Yes. Let's turn back the clock. Wes was born in Indianapolis. He spent his adolescence in Ohio and moved back to Indianapolis after high school. He worked as a welder and for a milk company. He was a family man who didn't necessarily have music stardom in his plans. Lasana, what's notable about that career arc? Well, I think what's notable about it, and you'll, you'll find this is, and, and this is what I think should induce us to humility is that Wes Montgomery is a part of a genealogy. So he was not, he did not come to us in a vacuum. He came, you know, Charlie Christian, and there's just this genealogy of artists and artistic development that he was birthed through. So there's that on the artistic side. And then on the social side, uh, you know, Mari Evans was born in Toledo, Ohio, a few years before Wes uh, Montgomery. And so that, the 1920s was a very turbulent time. She was born in 1919. He's born in 1923. This is the this is the red summer. You know, this is the year of intense uh, racial riots going on in dozens of cities across the United States. And so he grew up, developed, was socialized in that context as a as a young boy and an adolescent, and then coming into his teen and young adult and adult years. Of course, the the civil rights era and he passed away uh i think a couple of months maybe june i think of 68 a couple of months after dr king was assassinated so we're, we're as black artists you know we're not we're never not a part of the social context in which our art uh is born so we 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 sort of uh 
co-mingle, we sort of co-develop or co-incubate along with the social context, there comes the artistic expression that sort of flowers out of that. So Wes Montgomery's, uh, his genius and his, his, his penchant and not only as a, an, a music, a contributor to the art form, but an innovator, you know, a technical innovator to the art form. So, I mean, he just stands, a, a, you know, he's a, he's a mountain and he stands astride uh, so many and he will, you know, just never be forgotten in this music. Rob, let me ask you about some of those technical aspects of his playing. What did he do that, that kind of set him apart? Well, a couple of things. Technically, um, you know, he was known for playing with his thumb instead of a pick. And so that kind of the style of playing with a thumb was with, the, I, you know, from Robert Montgomery tells me, that, you know, that he had to play quiet and, and practicing. So he'd always practice with his, just using his thumb. And then he got used to that. So that was the style that, you know, became very popular. And he was probably the only one to do it on the national scene or international scene to play with his thumb. And um, the other was the, the development of the, the octaves and, and the chordal solos that he would play. Um, playing with those octaves um, in solos is kind of something that was kind of like a definitely branded as a West Montgomery uh, trait. And, um, you know, a lot of guitarists learn how to play and then they listen to West Montgomery records. Be beyond his uh, technical contributions to, you know, the world of music, um, and, you know, I like to think as Wes Montgomery is probably being the definition or the most influential jazz guitarist of all time. If you look at the scope of the guitarists across the history of this music, he's also, you know, um, what we consider the father of smooth jazz, you know, um, at, you know, the time that he received a record contract with A&M Records, um, Jerry Moss and Herb Albert owned the record label and, you know, they were big in producing people like the you know sister sledge and pointer sisters and captain and Tennille. um but when they you know signed wes you know he recorded some um songs that not only made the top jazz charts it made the pop charts like he recorded windy and tunes like california dreaming and some beatles tunes that were just kind of made him a household name and people actually learned about him became actually a star out in hollywood and, and in california and I think, you know, Wes had a love affair with California because, it, you know, he had so much success when he went out, went out there. I think there was a time when he was trying to relocate to California, but that, that didn't happen because, you know, the family didn't all want to go there. But, um, you know, that led the way for A&M to create, you know, uh, artists like Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass who came out with Rise and Chuck Mangione with Feel So Good. I mean, all these pop, instrumental pop songs that happen. Um, Grover Washington Jr., Kenny G. It's just a, the list goes on of like how instrumental pop was influenced by him making that record and, and, and actually reaching the pop charts. So not only, you know, do we see him as a great and in, influential jazz guitarist, we see him also as an innovator in kind of instrumental pop. Okay, so one of his big hits was a cover of the Beatles' A Day in the Life. Uh, he even did Tequila. Now, before that, he was a uh, you know straight ahead. Yes, exactly. Icon in in a different world of music. Right. So he does these covers. Some strings are added. Uh, these are pop hits. Uh, was that controversial at the time? It was very, you know, it was very controversial. As a matter of fact, I, I had a couple conversations with some musicians around here, like. 
great musicians like you know that said you know i wasn't i wasn't really with him you know um doing the pop thing and um there was a story you know i did a record with melvin ryan who was his organist um and he told me that they did he did this record that had all these pop hits and they played the, the five spot in new york and at the time you know coltrane was everything in new york you know so everybody was just in all every jazz musician was like you know a disciple of train and so they were that music just resonated with musicians particular jazz musicians in new york and i remember that melvin said that we had to play that set list the day in the life and california dreaming and wendy at, at the five spot you know west wanted to premiere that because the label was like hey we're, you're doing this thing let's do it and melvin said he just he tried to play take that music so far out and play like McCoy Tyner when they did it, you know. It actually caused the rift between um, Melvin and Wes, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, to, to say that, that um, it was controversial is, uh, yeah, that might actually even be an understatement in the world of jazz because it was, it, it kind of like, you know, Wes is somebody that was like, you know, this, this jazz icon and then he went the pop route and, you know, kind of broke some musicians' hearts. But I think time has treated it okay. Oh, time is is the healer, and it you know it actually you know history is is looks on West very favorably because he was able to exist in both uh, arenas you know and do it so well. So you know now jazz musicians are saying not only was he this great iconic <laughs> jazz he was like a pop star it's like wow you can have both worlds yeah. you know so he's looked at very favor favorably in history as far as leading the charge on, on both those fronts let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor this is the ibj podcast Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Let's go back to Dave Lindquist's conversation with musician Rob Dixon and poet Lasana Kazimbe about jazz guitarist Wes Montgomery, who would have been 100 this year. All right, I want to step back. Uh, you mentioned octaves. So, like a single line guitar soloist like B.B. King, that's a single line. Right. An octave is he was playing, Wes would play a high. A note and a low note right. simultaneously. Simultaneously, and 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 construct solos with that. So he would, you know, play the two notes simultaneously and do it. It would essentially sound like a chord solo because the way of the movement, you know, you have to. But it was octaves, and it just worked. It was something that was just very effective, and it was uniquely uniquely West Montgomery, and it was a signature sound for him that you know kind of. Um, you know that he used in the the jazz arena as well as his his uh, instrumental pop, and his siblings played with him: Buddy Montgomery on piano and Monk Montgomery on bass guitar. Monk, people say, was like the first electric bass player. One of them, you know, to know, to be known to really yeah dig into the electric bass, and um, they played together a lot. But from my story, you know, just my conversations with people that 
played with Wes. Wes was just a, a dedicated uh, person to rehearsing and working things out and getting things together. I, I mean, Wes just and you know recorded with so many different people, not only his brothers but also um, so many luminaries across the the jazz spectrum. And 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 um, one thing, if you ask any jazz musician about him. From Herbie Hancock to um, uh, Jimmy Cobb, they would say that it was Wes was very meticulous in what he wanted, and he was very specific. So specific that I think that he kind of saw his career, you know, he saw the vision, like, where he wanted to go. You know, um, there was a time when John Coltrane asked him to join the quartet before he hired McCoy Tyner, and and Wes was like, no, because I, I have a, a vision for where my career is going to go. So that, that is... Um, pretty bold and yeah. you have to know you have to be your own person to turn down John, John Coltrane to work <laughs> with a, uh, you know an ensemble that created the history that that group play did okay but the Montgomery Brothers those are just three of dozens of world class jazz musicians correct in Indianapolis in the 1940s and 1950s I would say people appreciate that legacy today more than they did maybe a few years ago but it's still a hidden gem. Uh, Lasana, you grew up in Chicago, right? I did, yes. Uh, did you grow up knowing as Indianapolis as the home for Wes Montgomery? I did not. Hit Freddie Hubbard? Nope. J.J. Johnson? Nope. None of that. None of that. We, you know, we, Chicago has a distinction with our history. And you have this in, in Kansas City. You have it in Los Angeles. You have it in Detroit. These, uh, what, what, what are called black entertainment boulevards. And they're, they're essentially uh, entertainment sectors that really were, you know, responses that arose out of segregation. So Indianapolis, Indiana Avenue is that black entertainment boulevard here. Chicago is State Street. So I knew State Street. And then coming up, you know, I knew the history of uh, music groups, art, uh, jazz groups that came out of the 60s, really out of the black arts movement. We have uh, Chicago has the distinction of having... I think more than any other city, we during that black arts movement era, 65 to 75, we had more um, ensembles uh, of music, musical ensembles coming out of that era than any other city during the black arts movement. So, and many of them are still around. And of course we had these collectives like the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, AACM, which is still there. So that's the sort of thing that I grew up with, knowing that history because I was there, I was young, and it was immediate. So that was that's my immediate context. So I came here in 2017, and of course, um, through college, I was a jazz head my whole life. I knew Wes Montgomery's music, I knew Freddie Hubbard's music, but I started when I started getting into um, college and then I moved here in 2017 I started learning more about the biography of these folks and then started learning about that Indiana Avenue history here and you know so it's just incredible it's an, an amazing rich corpus of, of creative expression and of course it's easy to say if someone visits Indiana Avenue today there's very little evidence of that history um, Rob what should people know about that era and the music that was made then. I said that Wes Montgomery was kind of what we say is the definition or uh, the essence of what a jazz guitarist is. And so many people uh, have been influenced 
but but you could say the same as of J.J. Johnson on trombone, you know, from Indianapolis. He's kind of like the quintessential the jazz trombonist. And if you look at Freddie. Not Rushmore, for sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then if you look at Freddie, he's somebody that kind of reinvented the trumpet. Like modern trumpet players, that's the person they look at. You know, you had Dizzy Gillespie kind of like in, 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 the, in, like in that movement. And then Freddie Hubbard comes along and kind of redefines what the jazz trumpet is about and um from there you just have so many other great jazz musicians slide hampton you know james spaulding uh melvin ryan jimmy coe pookie johnson um just the list russell webster the list goes on when one of the things that that i admire about west montgomery is that not only was he had just a strong vision for his career and 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 so successful internationally is that he was um a big advocate for all the musicians in Indianapolis and what he intended to do his intention was to come back to Indianapolis and create a label and create a production company to highlight all these great musicians in Indianapolis and that was a big plan was create a label create a production company and then six months later he passed away and you know at the age of 45 so it's something that wasn't realized about you know he thought that there was not enough spotlight put on the, the great musicians of in Indianapolis and Indiana Avenue, and that was one of his big goals uh, in his life to do. And it's unfortunate because we we have lost a part of this you know this this history in 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 terms of people knowing. You know, there's very few people that know about the great legacy of Indiana Avenue, and so with programs like this, is we 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 are are. In, pushing back and intend to change that you know uh to let people know hey this is we're celebrating a life of the of, of a great musician that came from indianapolis and the legacy of indiana avenue and you know um we're going to continue that legacy just personally i feel so fortunate that i had an afternoon where i sat down and talked with pookie johnson and his stories and uh mel ryan a wizard of the b3 right and uh, people should look up one of my favorite records, uh, the space player, Phil Ranlin, Yes. made like these mind-expanding records in, in his career. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you start poking around the Indianapolis jazz stories. There's, deep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it goes, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it is very deep. And, you know, you can, there's many layers to, to the, the scene to the tapestry of the Indianapolis jazz scene and the the reach of it, you know, the reach of these musicians and their influence, not only for the maybe maybe the songs that they've produced, but like what they've done on their instruments. And that's something that gets kind of lost, too, that all these people were from Indiana Avenue. But, you know, um, that could be that, you know, there was a displace, displacement of Indiana Avenue that that was part of the problem of why this history hasn't been able to reach and people to know about it. Well, one good thing is that it's not necessarily a past tense story. Uh, could you tell us what you're doing with the, uh, from the 317 project? Oh yeah, absolutely. So as I, as I say before, you know, one of the things that Wes wanted to do is shine a spotlight on the great musicians in Indianapolis, you know, and I believe that if you fast forward in the 90s, I think that was, you know, the intent of uh, Babyface to come back and start a label. And I think L.A. Reid uh, 
convinced them to move to Atlanta and you had LaFace Records and the rest had, is history. Yeah, the rest <laughs> is history. They had so many great records and what what we intend to do with the From the Three One Seven project is to record and, and, and feature a lot of the Indianapolis talent. National, with national radio promotion and national uh, publicity to, to just get the music out that is currently happening now and and, um, and just put a spotlight on the Indianapolis music scene, you know, and and, 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 uh, and that's from the 317. And then hopefully it will expand out and have other artists, you know, have spotlights put on them from Indianapolis and just to, you know, really promote the music scene here. Who are some collaborators you've been working with? So we've worked with, you know, Lasana is going to be one of our collaborators, but um, we've worked with um, Tad Robinson, great yeah, blues, yeah. Uh, Sarah Scarborough, great uh, vocalist, Josh Kaufman, Bashir Yassad, uh Maxi, um, Rusty Redenbacher is, is featured, as well as Charlie Ballantyne, you have Richard Sleepy Floyd, John Woods, Brandon Meeks, um, just a, a number of Ashley Baskins, Siren Simone. She's uh, working with her, um, and the and it's going to be a t- to be continued kind of situation. So uh, the first record that we put out, it's going to feature them, and then we're going to feature some bands on the next project. Back to more in- individuals on the next one, and then more bands. So we have a a lot of musicians. Um, in the queue to to highlight is there a release date for that record so we're looking at the first on this first record we're going to release in the, the end of the first quarter so in march excellent and then the, the and then it as i said before it'll be a to be continued so then you'll see another project that'll be released in like september and then another one in january and then another one and um we'll have a spotify playlist as well as um apple playlist and and that that'll be the really cool thing about this. So if you don't, yeah, the album or you get the CD, you can check out the two channels. We'll we'll actually put up live concerts. We'll put up uh, tracks that didn't make the record. You know, we're trying to do the, a really big campaign about about the city of Indianapolis and all the great musicians that exist in it. Fantastic. Now, Lasana, if I could uh, peek under the hood a little bit in your creative process. When you prepare a spoken word piece about a musician who played music that didn't have lyrics, uh, what are some of the, what's the process? Well, uh, I'm an artist who really appreciates genealogy. And genealogy is uh, a people's relationship to ideas that bind them together. So I'm very uh, much immersed in learning about, reading about the lives and the, the trials and triumphs that individuals experienced in their life. And then I reflect and I think about the influence, uh, in this case global, um, that, that that individual continued to have. And what I'm describing is something that's not dead, but it's very much alive. And so what I try to do as an artist is to tap into that and I try to feel and learn what and this is going to sound really out there but i try to listen to the colors that are in the music and i try to listen to the tone and tempo 
And then so when I'm writing, I'm thinking about feeling, I'm thinking about thought, I'm thinking about all of the sort of the, the blend of ingredients that go into giving birth to, to a creative piece. And I sit down and I begin to write with this particular project uh, in our own sweet way. It's actually a riff on, I believe it's a Dave Brubeck song called mm-hmm. In Your Sweet Way. In Your Own Sweet Way. In Your yeah. Own Sweet Way. So I thought it would be really cool to riff on that and do In Our Own Sweet Way. We're giving this tribute to Wes. So the piece that we're going to construct, it's got, it's going to be a little untraditional. It won't be... Lasana's doing a piece, then Manan does her piece, then Bashiri does his piece. We're performing together. Nice. So we're actually writing uh, right uh, now and creating it, and we're going to integrate and synthesize our pieces. So what will the end result will be, there will be this master piece that will be a, I think we're doing like a 50-minute set, but there will be uh, multiple pieces that we all contribute, but it'll be so seamless that we'll sort of flow and blend into e- into one another, like nice. the bend in a river. All right. So you uh, mentioned the uh, idea of a color in, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a piece of music. And I mean, Wes's work, uh, so warm, so smooth. I mean, this is a person who obviously was not fighting his instrument. I mean, his <laughs> instrument was... Right, it was coming right out of him through through the through the notes. Yeah, that's what what you're describing is what I interpret as a, a balance of form and content, uh, and and that's you know that's essentially what I think great art, whether it's a painting, whether it's cuisine, whether it's a tapestry, whatever it is, you want to try to strike a balance between form and content. And one one of the favorite pieces that I love listening to the favorite album is the album um i think it's called the boss guitar yeah, yeah. of west montgomery yeah. mm-hmm. and i mean you every cut every every track on that album man you know you just put it on repeat and i love writing to it and and and, and listening to that and it just draw a great deal of influence in that way and you know one thing too uh, um if you've ever seen one of lasana's productions what um is is very um attractive about his his concepts is like he adds dimensions to to the performance so fire dance for instance we had the visual of the dance we have the theater that lasana presents with his poetry and then you have the music so and it's all presented as one uh unit and i think it engages a lot of people with this program with Wes Montgomery, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to add dimension to, you know, to to the music um, with, with the theater and, and the poetry. Um, and it tells a story in a way that people can really grab onto. I'm, I'm excited to, 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 to see people uh, and their response to this because I know that it is, it adds that dimension where it's, it makes it accessible. Yeah, to, uh, to to a music that might not be as accessible to people um, initially. Excellent, definitely something to look forward to. Yes, Wes of course died too young at age forty-five of a heart attack. His playing endures and continues to influence countless guitarists. I remember BB King when he was in Indianapolis on stage. He would always mention, you know, Wes is from your town. Lasana, just maybe the big picture question. Why does, his, why does Wes's work matter a hundred years later? 
I'm going to go back to highlighting and foregrounding the importance of genealogy. It uh, is very important that we have a relationship with our history. It is very important that especially young people be introduced to the history so that they're, they're not lost and they don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think our history um, and our art, you know, art reflects the social context. So it just in terms of, you know, you know, we can vary on this, but, you know, I have major, major, major critiques of music and artistic production today. And I think what we what, what my critique comes from just observing how in a lot of circles, a lot of um, people doing music have really abandoned a lot of musical principles and things that have been worked out over the last century or so. And we get what we get. Yep. So it's very, very important to, to understand, to locate and apprehend and then reinscribe those those traditions through the genealogy. And one of the most um, I think one of the most immediately accessible and exciting mediums to do that is through the lens of art. For ticket information for in our own sweet way, visit the cabaret.org. In other Centennial News, Westbound, a film documentary based on West Montgomery's life, will premiere February 26th on Bloomington Public Television Station, WTIU, and the annual Art and Soul Black History Month celebration includes a February 25th tribute to West Montgomery at the Arts Garden. I believe we will see you on stage that day. Yes, and you'll see, yeah, you'll see me on stage, and I believe Lasano will be on stage as yeah. well. I feel, what, I, I feel strongly about and and just really good about this these these programs because not only are they have high artistic merit, there's something that is we're collaborating with with the West Montgomery family, with the West Montgomery estate, and we have their blessing and it is they're going to be a part of it. You'll see Robert Montgomery making um, maybe a couple of announcements before the program on May 13th as well as in February. So um, it feels good to to be a part of. Of, of his family and uh, make this something that celebrates them as well. Thank you, Robin Lasana, for your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to Dave, Rob, and Lasana. Again, the event on May 13th is called In Our Own Sweet Way, honoring the artistic legacy of West Montgomery. Go to thecabaret.org for more information and to buy tickets. To read more from Dave Lindquist, check out this week's issue of IBJ. He writes about The Vault Indie, a speakeasy in the Bates Hendricks neighborhood that requires a code for entry. And bonus, the story includes a map of other speakeasies in the city. Also in this week's IBJ, reporter John Russell explores why increasing numbers of big university and not-for-profit donors are requesting anonymity and why that might not be a good thing. Plus, Peter Blanchard looks at proposed legislation that would increase the speed limit for trucks on rural highways, and he explains why the bill is probably not going to become law, at least not this year. Thanks for listening to the IBJ podcast. Mason King will be back next week. Thank you.